Well, the month of March, unbelievably busy for the staff here at eCardingNews.com. It was uh, events in North Carolina, events in Texas, and we find ourselves ready to go with episode number 20 of the EKN Debrief. Welcome, everyone, to the EKN Radio Network. My name is Rob Howden, joined, as I always am, by David Cole, as we get set to do essentially our breakdown of the Texas Pro Kart Challenge event Round number one at Speed Sports Racing Park in Houston. This week's show presented by Acceleration Kart Racing. Acceleration Kart Racing. Customer service is number one. Acceleration is a full-time karting business, not a hobby or an afterthought. And they strive to offer their customers the best products, prices, and service. Acceleration has all the products you're looking for. From kid carts to shifters, safety to speed. To find out what Acceleration has to offer, visit shop. AKR.com. Again, shop AKR.com. Well, let's bring in the EKN managing editor, David Cole. Uh, David, obviously, off the very top here, we're going to talk about how awesome the weather was for me down in Texas. You, of course, not getting quite as good weather in North Carolina. I think it was sleeting and cold and crappy. We had a little bit of humidity and 80 degree temperatures in Texas. So let's just start it off with a na 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 that I had an awesome. Weekend well, that was very polite and courteous of you, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It was. I apologize. I, I will. You know what? I officially yeah, apologize. Did, did just not talk but off the air about how it's going to be eighty degrees in Florida and you're going to get snow. I didn't. I didn't rub it but in listen, your face. Your I didn't rub it in now. your face. But you will at the debrief. There's no doubt about it. I'll be here at the uh, HMG EKN World Headquarters in Cambridge in the crappy snow and cold this weekend. And you'll be at Ocala uh, Grand Prix in Florida, having some great burgers and uh, enjoy yourself. I just came up with a new Instagram account, Suck It Rob. <laughs> it's uh, gonna it's gonna be online soon, and we're gonna send warm photos and great food photos to it. So David Cole's <laughs> going to the opening round of the USPKS series at Ocala this weekend. Uh, I'm assuming we'll have this up on the EKN Radio Network this week. Then, uh, David, as I said, remember when you would asked me about Ocala Paisanos. That was the place we went for pizza, and it was oh, awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paisanos, trust me. I, it was, we went down there, obviously, for the final round of the Scusa Winter Series. It, you'll like it. That play, and, I, and I went for the straight pepperoni, I think. And, you know, man, dude, it was good. In fact, I was looking at pictures last night on my phone, just going, scrolling through all my food pictures I have on my phone. And, man, dude, you'll dig it. It was really good. It was really good. Gotcha. All right, let's, let's jump into this, uh, this debrief. Again, the opening round of the Texas Pro Kart Challenge, the uh, Supercarts USA Regional Series, uh, all stock Honda and IAMI. And and the bottom line was, oh, what a great debut uh, as they had their opening round at Speed Sports Racing Park in uh, New Caney, Texas, Alan Rudolph's facility uh, north of Houston. Tremendous venue, David. Um, you know, I, I went down there last October. We've got to get you down there as well because you're going to dig this place. Continued rave reviews on the track and the layout. Every driver we talk to says, such a challenge to drive. It's fun to drive, but it's both physically and mentally challenging. You know, we talked to uh, to Jake French last year about it, and he said, of all the tracks he's driven, it's probably the top three in terms of mentally challenging because there really isn't any break. One big run down the back straightaway from turn five to turn six, but otherwise you are working. That It's a, it's a track that really, really challenges the drivers. 
It, and it seems like it has a lot of grip level to it, too, especially yeah. uh, looking at some of the photos that Mr. Ken Johnson was able to, to capture there with, with guys bicycling. I mean, we don't we don't see guys bicycling anymore. And to, to see that happen, I mean, I think the last time we've seen it was Dallas, maybe with with the way they, uh, they laid down the coating there. Is it and it's not coating there, is it? No, it's just the asphalt. And it's uh, it's right. It, it's serious grip. Um, and, you know, Anytime you have a, a decreasing radius corner, like a really hardly there's a there's a number of hairpins there where you're really working the car and you're carrying a lot of speed into the hairpin and trying to roll that speed in. And again, if your cart's a little tight, it just kind of starts to lift up a little bit. Yeah, we saw we saw a bunch of guys like that, but also you can pound the curbs pretty aggressively there too. And a lot of I think a lot of the two wheeling comes from the fact that guys will pound the curb coming in, then get that thing to start to bicycle around. It's not like you and I in the old school Invader days when. You just made a turn and the thing went on two wheels. Yeah, yeah, I can remember that. <laughs> I had mentioned uh, the weather. Uh, really nice weekend. We had temperatures in the high 70s, low 80s. Uh, a, a consistent breeze throughout the weekend, too, that, that I think made it more enjoyable. Um, for me, you know, to get, to get back to that facility, you know, when Alan was building and designing Speed Sports, he came to me as an announcer and said, hey, you know what, what do you need? As an announcer, where do you want to be? What's your sight lines? And a lot of the input that I gave Alan, he incorporated into the design, of course, when I showed up last year, because he always said it was going to be my tower. It was Howden's tower. And there's a sign uh, on the door when you walk into the tower, the announcing and, and timing and scoring tower that says Howden's tower. You know, I'll always, always thank Alan for that because it's just, that's a cool thing. And it was, it was fun to go back there. David, you did, you did mention Ken Johnson, and I do want to bring this up because this is really cool from the folks at Texas Pro Car Challenge, uh, uh, you know, Gina and Mark French from P1 Promotions. So Ken was there, you know, a long time, fantastic karting photographer. And karting photographers are different than car photographers because it's, I think it's harder to shoot carts because they're smaller, they're faster. And you get a guy like Ken who's been around for so long and is so good at it. Um, the French's P1 promo, uh, Promotions actually bought a digital kit for every one of the drivers. That's going to happen all year, too. So they, they brought Ken in. They paid Ken. So instead of customers having to buy it off of, of Ken, a digital kit, every driver got a small kit of shots on the weekend. I was wondering why I was seeing so many photos online yeah. from uh, from the weekend, not just from Ken, but from all the racers. So it's a great package and a, and a great customer service for uh, for them at uh, Texas Pro Car Challenge. Yeah, I know Gina and, and Mark both want to give back to the customers. Uh, and, and you know what? Here, as we do the overview from the event, let's go into the fact that there was even more. You know, last year we had 74, I believe, at the season finale, uh, which was, you know, the high watermark for 2017 for the Texas PKC, and they went to straight schools of classes. They essentially dropped the road tax program as it has been in, in, in many areas around the country after road tax kind of collapsed. Uh, they went straight Miami, straight stock Honda, and 74 drivers was, as I said, the high watermark. Here they go. They launched the season this year. They did a loyalty program where people paid for the entire season up front. They had 50 people. Uh, actually signed up for the entire season up front. And half of those, 25 of those people that signed up for their, their series loyalty program, new to the program as well. That bodes so well for the series. They ended up with 84 total, about 13% growth from last year. And David, you and I have talked a lot about any program we were in that we work with. 10% growth every year is sustainable and it's what you want. And to have 13% for this first race before they go to Denton, before they go to the, to the second time to Amarillo and then back to DKC for the finale, 
you know, just great momentum for Texas and the, and the, and the pro car challenge. Well, I think the last year was kind of a, a, a mixed year because you had, it was the transition, like you said, going to strictly the SCUSA rules where they, they had it in place before, but there were a lot of Rotex racers uh, down in, in the Texas area. And so it was, it you know, not necessarily hard for them to transition over, but some of them just stepped away from it. And so now that they, that they have some type of stable ground, uh, I think you'll be able to see this program continue to grow. And, and 10% is phenomenal to go from the end of last year to this year. Now, and then we won't necessarily see that maybe between events, but, you know, as, you know, maybe a 10% growth from this race to the last race of the year might be one thing uh, that would be a positive uh, moving forward with the, with the Texas Pro Car Challenge. Yeah, agreed. Uh, you know, eighty-four drivers at the at the at the start. If they get another ten to fifteen percent, they're going to find themselves over a hundred. And we've always used that hundred mark as that benchmark for a regional series. You know, you look at two hundred for a national program. Uh, so yeah, I think I think things are going in the right direction. And you did say it. There was there was some turmoil in karting in Texas. They used to have a really solid road racing program down there with the SWRA. That's now gone. So I think things are kind of settling in. And of course, the you know the, obviously the the development of the speed sports racing park, that brand new facility, uh, you know, on the heels of the development just a couple of years ago of the Dallas Karting Complex. They're really you know there's a couple of crown jewels in terms of racing in Texas, and I just think uh, I think things are going to be good. Now, looking at the numbers, uh, they actually were were down a little bit in in micro, but that's because a bunch of drivers graduated up to, to mini. They were also down in mini. They had 23 last year at the finale. They had 18 to start the season, which are still good numbers, but eight drivers graduated up to junior. So they actually went from 14 to 19 in the junior category. They went from 11 to 16 in, in X30 senior, which I think is really important. Uh, masters, they only had one Masters last year at the finale. They had nine. So it was a, a standalone Masters class, which I think was awesome. Uh, in the, the shifter card category, they were actually – they were down. They were. I think they had twenty something last year, or twenty, and they only had sixteen this time. But when you look at the actual categories, the same amount of S twos, and they actually had one more S four. What they don't have are any of the S threes. Those drivers actually transitioned in, and there was no S ones. So we'll see. I think more S one drivers come back. Riley Dickinson's going to come back. I know that Sky Family's looking to come back. I know Jake French is going to run. Uh, at Denton for their next race. So really, turnout looks good. And there are guys that weren't there. There's a good possibility they may able be able to get to 100 when they get to Denton. Well, well I think the, uh, oh, sorry, oh, I was going to yeah, oh, go, cut go. in. Uh, I think part of the issues with the stock Honda program is, again, nationwide is, is where is this program going? So a lot of people still aren't buying in. We're seeing that now at, at the local level. Uh, so it's, it, it's kind of, so that's maybe that why they're hurting and not getting any S3s there because people aren't buying into the package or even, even the shops aren't even buying into the package and, and, and promoting it when they're, when they're trying to get new customers. And the other fact too, um, some of these S1 drivers are in school. I know like Austin Wilkins, he, he's in college right now. He has no time to go <laughs> racing. So, uh, you know, you got, there's a lot of factors into why I think the stock Honda program or this is, is suffering down there because at one time, Texas was the place to race stock Honda. Uh, you, there's no doubt about that. And I think that that kind of lays down the fact that uh, Supercarts USA needs very soon to kind of lay out their three-year plan. What are you guys going to do? We know that the IAMI shifter is coming. Make the comment, uh, make, make the statement, 
confirm where it's going to be for 2019, 20, and 21. The stock Honda is still going to be great for guys in S3 and S2 or whatever it may be. They just got to figure out what they're going to do so that people can go say, hey, you know what? I can get a stock Honda for four grand now or three grand. I'm going to buy it because I know I can race it for the next five years. I think that's, that is going to be the key in trying to get stock Honda, at least the shifter cart categories in Texas kind of stabilized a little bit. All right, let's uh, let's go to our first break, David. We got things underway. We we uh, fired up the debrief, episode number twenty. Uh, we have our overview uh, of what we saw at the Texas Pro Kart Challenge again, round number one. This is what the the topic is of our debrief here today. After this break, we're going to come back with the paddock pass, and I'll talk a little bit about what happened in the paddock, some of the cool stuff that that actually happened throughout the weekend. Since 2003, K1 Race Gear has been a one-stop shop for all your indoor and outdoor karting needs. From racing shoes, suits, and driving gloves, to chest protectors, rib vests, accessories, and bags, K1 Race Gear provides quality karting products for the enthusiast and the professional alike. We have an incredible lineup of K1 karting suits designed to fit everyone's budget. Check out our entry-level GK2, the new Apex 2, and our top-of-the-line Speed 1 suit. Then, choose from our Apex and RS1 carding gloves and add in our K1 shoes, rib protectors, and neck collars. If you need a custom suit to support your sponsors, we can create a custom look as unique as you are. As you would expect, our custom suits are made to order. With pricing as low as $495, you're sure to find a suit that not only satisfies your racing needs, but it's easy on the wallet as well. We take care of all of our customers at K1 Race Gear, not just the ones with deep pockets. Visit k1racegear.com today and get everything you need for your next racing season. Welcome back to episode number 20 of the EKN Debrief, April 4th here in the EKN Radio Network studios. Uh, we are breaking down the Texas Pro Kart Challenge, round number one, which took place uh, in late March at Speed Sports Racing Park in Texas. The Paddock Pass, presented by Kart Sport North America. David, uh, just walking around the paddock, being there. Super, super positive atmosphere. Everybody just excited to get things underway. Uh, you know, one of the cool things we saw was PSL Karting had come over. They were in uh, in Florida for the final round of the Florida Winter Tour. They decided to come across uh, to check out Speed Sports Racing Park. Of course, uh, Alan Rudolph and Speed Sports, one of the uh, Burrell Art uh, dealers in Texas. In fact, got the distributor in Texas as well. So they came to support it. So there was that big, huge paddock uh, uh, or uh, – uh, trailer and awning and everything in there just kind of helped out the atmosphere a bit. Anytime, you know, you get certain drivers, you know, we talked about, you know, we will talk about the the battle between Mark, uh, between uh, Jake French and Ryan Norberg. There was just a lot of cool stuff that they put together. Well, since this is a paddock pass and you talked about the big tents being there, I kind of want to ask, I mean, we've talked about it uh, the first time you were there, the, the size of the paddock there, because I've seen I've seen a couple aerial photos with Ken Johnson's uh, drone going up in the air. It it seems like there's there's a bit of space there, but it's not the, the, the space that we've seen at like Phoenix or Newcastle where there's tons of room. Uh, what with the, with the two big haulers there and a lot of the other trailers in there, how, I mean, how was the spacing wise there? Well, again, DKC was there with their full hauler. Uh, PSL was there, was there with their their full hauler. Again, you've got eighty five drivers, eighty four drivers. If you're if you're leaning towards, hey, can we do a Scusa Pro Tour race there? You got to think three times the amount of people. Right, you're looking at 
240, 250, right? So three times the amount. Now, I will say this, and now I'm waiting to see pictures. I haven't got it yet. But I was told when we left that the week after we left, Alan Rudolph was bringing in the crews and they were paving the entire paddock. Now, you know, because it's not paved and it's gravel and there's dirt pushback, you couldn't really see the full extent of how much paddock they could they could actually use. Now, uh, you know, David, I, I think I would think that you could probably shoehorn everybody in. There'd be no cars in the paddock. <laughs> you know, there'd be there'd be no trucks, no no toters, yeah, no RVs because there was you know, a bunch of RVs in there. There'd be no RVs. Now there is an R. Sorry, go. go. So kind of like the Rio. Uh, what we, what we kind of have to do for yeah, the real, yeah. where it's it's exactly. tent, tent trailer, and then walk your walk yourself in. You know, you, you do have the RV spot next next door, so that's kind of a, a convenient yeah. place. If they have like maybe a a pathway to get between the two two facilities, would be even better uh, solution uh, for especially those that that haul with uh, with a toter home or or an RV. But uh, it just looks like that they're, they're continuing to make improvements to the facility because that's one thing that we always see with different tracks that we go to throughout the country. Well, I, I know Alan was making some big moves in terms of getting that that particular parking lot paved, uh, paved rather. He's going to get the thing paved down. And again, as you said, there's an RV park very close. I think key to being able to do this, because there's a small parking lot out front of the pro track. Uh, it probably holds 40 cars, 50 cars max. Now, right across the road, they're actually building a water park. The amount of development that's happening around the racetrack is going to be crazy. There's going to be hotels right there, actually adjacent to the racetrack on the outside. The whole grant or whatever, the whole project, let's put it that way. Water park, restaurants, hotels, all this stuff is coming in the next number of years. Now, and talking to Alan, once they get the water park done, they're going to be able to use some of that parking lot for a race, and they'll be shuttling guys back and forth. Because car parking is the other thing, David. We can get all the, car, you know, we can probably get the the trailers in, and you know, minimize some of the huge hospitality areas that everybody's putting putting out there now when there's lots of room. Uh, but car parking, rental car parking, trailer park, you know, toter parking. That stuff, I think, is going to be a challenge. Now, once like I said, once the development comes across the road, uh, I think there's an opportunity that we could we could go to speed sports because if you think about it, to be able to put a national race on there, and then to have Alan and his crew really market the crap out of the rental cart side, and essentially, hey, if you come to the rental cart, you can sit and watch the race as well. I think they, what they could do for the sport there with a pro tour race would be absolutely massive. Good. Because that's always a question I get when people ask about the facility. And of course, I've not been there and you've been there twice now. So that I just wanted to kind of get that out there. So people kind of understand where that facility is at right now in that term, in the terms of that type of uh, a mode, because it seems like the racetrack is phenomenal. You've already, we've already talked about that. And, and if, like you said, with the huge project they have going or surrounding the facility, it's, it's a win-win for the sport. I do think that, you know, I know that, that they talked about potentially taking the pro tour there this year. I think it's a good idea with any brand new facility that's going to have to go through teething pains that they take a break. They, they run some races to see how much room there is. You know, one of the issues with the track is when, where you come off the track is at a hairpin right to the right to the uh, the scales. Well, you know, even with 20 carts, there was a guy almost there to the racetrack at that point. So they're going to have to change where they're going to have the, the to come in for the scales to be able to have 40 guys lined up to go through the scales. That's just something that's going to have to happen for sure. All right. Let's, I, I got more paddock pass here, Dave. Let's, let's hit on a couple other things. One of the things I loved, and I mentioned it uh, when we talked about the, the numbers, 
was really impressive to see some of these young drivers moving up from micro to mini and from mini to junior, especially mini to junior, because, you know, we always see this. We'll see a kid dominate or be super strong in mini, win in races, win in championships, and they get thrown into the juniors. And there's a lot of good juniors. And, and you know, you're 12 years old, you're racing against guys 14 and 15, and it's, you know, it's a tough transition. Sometimes, they're, you, you know, you're not going to run right up front. Now, granted, this is a regional, but Brandon Tyner and John Burke, David, both really impressive. They ran in the top three, top four all weekend. Um, and I think going against Emiliano Richards, who's a, you know, a second-year junior, they looked really good out of the box. And I think, of course, regional, they know the track, you know, more of a place they're comfortable at, not a pro tour race. But for them to come out of the box and look so good in junior, that's something you know, in terms of paddock pass I wanted to mention because two young drivers didn't seem like they were phased at all coming into junior. Yeah, that's always one thing that you want to use the regional programs for, especially these two guys who are racing at, at the national level, is is to use these regional races to help groom yourself a little bit more and become more familiar with these the bigger size carts that you have in the junior category compared to the the cadet level uh, uh, models. So, you know, regional racing, you 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 always it's a it's a room to grow whether it be a club guy that's looking to extend uh, his reach and, and, and prove his race craft or a, a national guy who's, who's learning to become more comfortable with the cart or the engine or just the overall package and, and just becoming uh, uh, more familiar with, with, with hitting your marks or just, just driver techniques. And, and you know, that's, Absolutely perfect, Dave, because you know, we're kind of in the middle of this thing on eCardingNews.com and within the karting uh, community right now where we're talking about racecraft and we're talking about where these kids need to learn racecraft. And obviously, uh, the club and the regional level is a great place to actually learn it. You're not at the pressure-packed level of a pro tour or a major Florida winter tour program or whatever it may be. You can get a chance to be uh, you know, at that regional level and learn and get comfortable. And, and I want to segue this in, into one thing because I do want to mention this. When we talk... You know, again, there's so much chatter now about racecraft and what needs to be done, and it, it, is it in the hands of the racer or the race director or the parents or the tuners or whatever. I'm going to give props to, to Mark French. Um, he stepped up to be the race director this year after the race director uh, elected not to, to come back for 2018. Um, Mark did a fantastic job. He, good basic driver's meetings. Uh, kind of told them what he expected, and again, a one-day deal, and that's that's something we'll bring up as well after this because it was a you know it's a two-day program, not the regular three-day practice Saturday, a race on Sunday. You know, he watched them on on practice day on Saturday. He dropped, I, I want to say, it was twenty-two penalties over the two heat races. They ran qualifying, heat one, heat two, main event. I want to say Mark told me that he dropped 22 penalties throughout the heat races because he was he was getting aggressive. This is not going to happen. This is how I'm going to set set the standard for the, the Texas Pro Car Challenge. And I want to say there might have been one or two penalties. That's it in the finals. So the kids and the older guys too, the adult, uh, the adults, the seniors, the juniors were all they all got an expectation of how they were going to be allowed to race. And I thought Mark did a fantastic job. His crew did a great job. He was able to connect with everybody. You know, I'm you know privy to listen on the radio while I'm announcing it at times. I'll tell you, I was extremely impressed, and I thought he laid down the law from the get-go. I think when they get to Denton, racers are racers. He's going to, have to do the same thing. But he was aggressive enough through the heat races that, that the main events were really, really good. Well, that's that's key when you when you're becoming a, a race director for the first time, and I'm I'm wondering if it's because I mean we see a lot of race directors come in as racers themselves, 
Mark's been always kind of the guy on the sideline. I mean, he's maybe been in a cart maybe three or four times that I know of. Uh, he's a, you know, he's, he's a, uh, former BMX racer. I know he's, he's done a lot of things in, in two wheel stuff. Uh, so I'm wondering if, if being on the sidelines and seeing it as a, not only a parent, but as a mechanic and, and a team manager type role, if that's helped them to be, uh, to, to, to be able to come out and be a very positive, uh, race director. I think so, David. I, I think that when you have uh, different experiences, unique experiences, and I think when you've been the mechanic, the father, you know, he knows how he wants to talk to, he, he knows how he wanted to be talked to as a father, as a mechanic of his son. And so he's kind of extending that same courtesy. And I, I, I watched how he handled a couple of the penalties. And uh, there was one driver who was not pleased with the penalty that was laid down in the main events, but I watched what happened and it was a, it was a call that had to be made and Mark handled it well. And I think that, uh, I'm happy. I, th- I think that Texas Pro Car Challenge, hopefully the rest of the sport as well is going to do this, but I think they've set uh, their season up well in terms of Mark being able to handle things. So I was very, very impressed. Now, let's come back to what we said as well. One of the cool things about Texas Pro Car Challenge, um, during this first race and the last race of the four-race series, the, the events that are actually within the school year, they've knocked it down to just two-day events. They're not going to run two mains. You know, Normally, a lot of these races, Friday practice, Saturday race, Sunday race. They'll do that in the summer when the kids are out of school. In this first race in March, and then when, when we go to Dallas Carding Complex for the finale, um, that's not what we're doing. We're going to go with, you know, for, you can, they, they can drive to the track on Friday after school, after work, practice Saturday, race on Sunday. And we got done quick enough. We were done by 5 o'clock. Um, you know, I think people were out of there by 6. People were rolling even earlier, earlier than that. And you're home Sunday night, so your kids are at school on Monday morning. I think that's I think it was a really good idea, and the the feedback in the paddock was was very positive. Well, I think they're kind of taking a lead from the California Pro Kart Challenge in that, you know, they go Friday, Saturday every race that they go to, except for, with the exception of uh, Streets of Lancaster, and it and it doesn't put a lot of pressure, a lot of added expense that you need in order to hold a regional race. Uh, the com- it's a complete opposite here on the East Coast and the Eastern half of the United States where. Everybody wants a three-day weekend race. Everybody wants a three-day weekend race because they, they want that opportunity to, well, if I screw up Saturday, I got Sunday. And I, I've, I've kind of been in the favor of, of the, the Saturday-Sunday, actually, because, like you said, it keeps kids in school on Friday. They don't have to take them out. You can wait till 3 o'clock to leave for the racetrack. And most of the time, it's anywhere between five to six hours at the most to get to the racetrack. So I really do like to see that with the, with a regional program. And, you know, maybe it's something some of the other programs can look at and, and, and kind of adjust their way to it, too, because you can keep the, the three day weekends for the summertime and then bring it back down to maybe one rate, you know, the one race weekends uh, for when kids are in school. Hey, based on the feedback, David, that I was getting from parents, they were very, very happy with it. That's for sure. Uh, let's cap off this paddock pass again, brought to you by Cart uh, Sport North America this particular episode. I'm just going to hit on a couple of chassis manufacturers because I think uh, two stood out in terms of the fact that it was kind of a cool factor. Uh, Alpha Cart making a big statement in the shifter cart categories. They were first and third in S2 um, with uh, Max Hewitt and uh, Blair Hosey. Impressive to see the, the the Alpha carts out there doing well. There's a number of drivers on the Alpha in Texas. Uh, of course, Dams Racing is the importer, but just cool to see a different ch- chassis manufacturer up front. And then, you know, another great outing for Parallel. 
They get the win in micro. They get a top five in in uh, in the mini swift category as well. And David, throughout this first quarter of the season, we've seen Parallel have a success they probably haven't had in the last what ever <laughs> here. <laughs> well, I mean, the Parallel's been successful. It's just they haven't had the numbers to show. Yes. How successful they are now they're they're starting to expand they're, they've got some guys now on the west coast they've got some guys obviously in the midwest with with jim russell jr uh spearheading that and they've got now they've got some guys in florida and along the east coast and and so the the, the parent and the parallel brand has has been there it's it's always just kind of been the manufacturer for all the other brands well now they're 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 focusing on their own brand and making sure that's that's their their key, and it, they were part of the academy trophy. So we know, uh, you know, it, it. They have the the tools to be successful and and to market uh, their program. So it's just getting the right drivers and the right people involved in, in in expanding that brand. Well said, well said. All right, we've wrapped up the paddock pass. Brought to you by Cart Sport North America. Stick with us, folks. On the other side of this break, we're going to come back. We're going to go race reporting. We're going to talk about the events that happened. It was a one-day deal, so just one event to focus on for each category. We'll have that after these messages. Like most everything else, karting has always been big in Texas. But these days, it's just getting better and better. Top quality facilities and tracks, truly among the best in the country, dedicated kart shops, and a pure Supercarts USA regional series with incredible year-end prizes. That's right, it's the Texas Pro Kart Challenge. The series is dedicated to offering the best program possible, with the national level officiating and technical staff, top quality facilities, exciting prizes, and full e-karting news trackside live coverage with play-by-play by me, Rob Howden. Our next race is just two months away, so make sure to mark it on your schedule. We're going night racing on June 7th, 8th, and 9th at the iconic Denton facility. It's PKC under the lights. It's the best racing in Texas, so come challenge yourself and push it to the next level. For more information, visit TexasProCartChallenge.com. From coast to coast, Miami has become the two-cycle engine of choice for American karting. Starting with the air-cooled 60cc Swift engine and moving through to the incredible X30 power plant, Miami is providing much-needed stability for the sport. The Swift and X30 engines are the backbone of the Superkart USA Pro Tour and Pro Kart Challenge Series, as well as the USPKS, the Route 66 Sprint Series, and the WKA Manufacturers Cup. We're thrilled to introduce the new IAMI KA100 Rejet engine with a special introductory price of just $16.95 until the end of February. The new engine is getting rave reviews and will be part of the USPKS, Route 66, and WKA Man Cup programs in 2018. Watch for more regions of the country to get on board with this new formula. We have two distribution centers in the U.S. to serve you well. IAMI East in Mooresville, North Carolina, and IAMI West in Temecula, California. The momentum is continuing to build, so it's time to make an investment in stabilizing your engine program. For more information on IAMI, head to the website for your region, IAMIUSAEast.com or IAMIUSAWest.com.
Welcome back to episode number 20 of the EKN Debrief here on the EKN Radio Network. Rob Howard alongside David Cole, breaking down the opening round of the Texas Pro Kart Challenge, which took place in late March at Speed Sports Racing Park in Houston, Texas. Our race report this particular episode brought to you by CRG Nordam. David, I'm going to jump right into X30 Senior, and as I said, some pretty good numbers in, in the category, uh, up from 11 at the finale last year to 16. The day started, and this, this was kind of interesting, the day started as the battle between Ryan Norberg and Brendan Baker, a couple of drivers we've seen winning national-level races ar- around the country. Um, Brendan, of course, running for CRG Nordam. Ryan Norberg coming down for PSL. You know, Norberg, quick. Uh, he wins the, the first heat race, but then he pulls himself out. Doesn't want doesn't to affect the title fight. And, man, I was kind of like, I want to see this battle. Baker versus Norberg. This could be pretty good. But nope, Ryan decides he's going to park it. Didn't want to affect the, the championship battle in Texas. I get it, but I would have liked to have seen him and Brendan face off. Well, I think he was more there for technical support, working with yeah. the uh, the Burrell Art deal, uh, drivers that were there anyways. But yeah, I, I concur with wanting to see the Norberg-Baker fight. Kind of like the French Norberg fight that you had on uh, Saturday that we haven't talked about. <laughs> I'll talk about that in the wrap-up. Right. But, yeah, you know, just a couple of really good drivers. And you're right. Ryan Norberg, of course, there with PSL karting. A number of the speed sports Burrell drivers were under the PSL uh, tent for that weekend. And, and, you know, to be able to have access to Ryan, two-time Supercars USA Pro Tour champion, national number one guy, for him to be able to sit down and go over data with with all the drivers uh, under the PSL tent and the, the racers for speed sports, I think that was, that was pretty cool. With Norberg being gone – Dave Baker just kind of took over at that point there. He swept the second heat race, swept the main event. He he didn't check out to six, seven, eight seconds, but he had that two, you know, that comfortable two, three second gap that you hold on to. Behind him, the battle was between uh, last year's champion in Texas, uh, Brett Mitchell, and the young driver Alejandro Jaramillo. Uh, they were going at it back and forth. Uh, Mitchell actually struggled. He had a he had an issue in the opening heat race. Had to come from the back of the pack to fifth, I believe, in the second heat race, and then was able to get into the fight for the final podium positions with Jaramillo. He had second till the very, I think it was the very last lap, and Jaramillo uh, able to get by and made a great pass, good aggressive move to the inside, took the position. He finishes second, and Brett Mitchell in third. All in all, just a really good run for X30 Senior, and I think, David, we talk a lot about the fact we want to have those good fields in the senior categories, to have 16 and X30 senior, 16 breeds 20, 20 breeds 30. You know, we know that, that, that when, the more times you get more drivers, it just starts bringing more people to play. Yeah, it's a, it's been a category that they've kind of have not necessarily struggled, but not seen the numbers. But uh, now that, you know, a lot of these younger kids that have been in cadet and junior are getting older, uh, this, this X30 senior field definitely has room to grow, uh, not only this year, but uh, in the coming years to go as well. Yeah, that's exactly it. There's a bunch of kids in the junior category that are going to want to jump up next year and then the year after. Um, you're going to see 20 to 25 in X30 Senior. Speaking of X30 Junior, and I already mentioned the two mini Swift grads, uh, uh, John Burke and Brandon Tyner, right in the front, uh, scrapping it out with the second-year junior, Emiliano Richards. Racing was really, really good. But the good thing about speed sports, David, and you'll see it when you get there, there's so many passing opportunities. Now, you have to be assertive and decisive when you make those passes, but you can pass honestly. You can pass. I saw passes in one in two 
I, I actually couldn't see turn four because it's around the other side of the rental building. You can pass at the end of the straightaway in six. Out of six, you go to another hairpin. You can pass in seven. Uh, out of there, there's a double apex, eight and nine. You can pass in turn number eight. We actually saw a pass in turn 10, which is a fast kind of left-hand kink, into a hairpin turn 11 where you can pass. You can pass coming back over to 13, and you can pass in 14. So there's so many places to overtake, although I said you had to be very decisive. But these these juniors gave each other room back and forth, inside-out moves, um, You know, they, and they were being aggressive. In 14, which is the hairpin right in front of the, the – uh, the pit lane, we saw all the good, you know, the dive bomb moves right to the apex. Guys would slide by on the exit and, and the guy would just tuck back under to the inside. The racecraft in junior was really, really good. Burt, Tyner, and Richards, all very impressive. And again, that's that's what you want to see at the regional level is, is guys developing and, and getting better uh, at the regional level and taking it to the national level. And, you know, Dave, you mentioned, you know, learning on the, on the regional level. And I'm gonna, my heart feels a bit for John Burke because he was there. He went to the front. He led. And then, you know, with that two to go, he starts thinking, hey, I'm going to win here. I'm going to win in my X30 uh, junior debut. He down the back straight away on the final lap. He blocks to the inside, runs that defensive line. And that's fine. He comes out of turn number six. So it's a right-hand hairpin. Out of turn six to a left-hand hairpin. He was defensive in six, but wasn't defensive in seven. Of course, gets a horrible run out of set, out of six. Goes wide to set up for seven, and boom, in comes uh, Brandon Tyner. He just tucks it down the inside of, uh, of turn seven, takes over the top spot. Richards comes with him because he does the same thing. He gets a big wide berth through the hairpin. He gets with him. So, so poor John Burke goes back to third. And then Richards tries it over in turn number 14, the hairpin I just mentioned, throws it in there, goes way past the apex, and Brandon Tyner – like it, just like a seasoned pro, calm, cool, tucks it back to the inside, beats him back out to 15 and 16. It was just one of those cool last laps where, you know, I'm screaming and yelling. Everybody else is pumped up. Tyner gets the win. Richards in second. John Burke third, but he learned a lesson. John Burke won't do that again. <laughs> He'll make sure that if he's going to be defensive in one corner, he's going to keep it up for the next one as well. Tough one, though, Dave, but really just tremendous racing. Well, you, you need a, a- – you need good racers and a good racetrack in order to have that kind of dramatic last lap. You're right. It does play to the racetrack. No doubt about that. Good point. Um, X30 senior. Let's go through the, uh, the IME categories. To be honest, Miguel Mir on the Burrell had it absolutely dominated all weekend long. He was anywhere between a half a second and almost a full second faster than everybody else in that, uh, in that nine cart field. Uh, but in the second heat, start of the second heat, you know, we're going down into turn number, you get the green, down into turn six, and into the back straightaway, because they started on the back straightaway. I can't remember which driver it was, but somebody from further back, probably third or fourth row, comes barreling in, hammers the guy who starts third. He goes up and over top of Miguel, and they're both off the racetrack on the outside of the corner. You know, Miguel came out of the car. He was kind of like he was flailing around. He was able to get back up, and he was fine. They stayed green, but he ends up going to the tail of the field. For the main event. Now he's that much faster. All he's got to do is just settle in, Dave, and he's going to win this thing. Well, lap one, I want to say lap one, he was in fifth after starting ninth. I, th- I want to say lap two, he's already in the second spot, putting the pressure on on, uh, on Keith Harless, who had started on the pole and had led. And I, it was either lap two or lap three. They come to the turn 14, same hairpin where all the action happens. And he absolutely just throws it inside of Harless. 
and major contact with the front of the car hits Harless. Harless kind of almost goes off track and Miguel's able to continue, but it was serious contact. And I, as I saw it happening, I'm like, well, that's a penalty. <laughs> that's like, it was just absolutely no, no question whatsoever. The, the tough, and he does end up getting docked a spot. So he goes on and walks away to a win, five and a half seconds or whatever it was, a major win for Miguel Mir, but he loses that spot for that aggressive move on lap number two or lap number three. David, it just didn't need to happen. He was that much faster. He could have settled down and, and got him on the back straightaway. But you know what? You don't have to put the visor on. You just get uh, you get a little aggressive and, and you want to lead. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> that's what happens. And, and you know, it, again, you got regional racing. That's where you got to learn this racecraft. And and you, if you know you're you're faster than guys, you you got to be able to understand to be patient. And that's one thing that it's hard for racers to do. Even even guys who are out to a big lead, it's hard to take a lap off because you don't want to make that mistake that either drops a wheel and spins you off, or or maybe clip a barrier if you're at a temporary circuit. So uh, yeah, it, it's 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 just making sure it's all about making mis- minimal mistakes or any mistakes at all. That's that's what it, that's what separates the good from the bad. And the crazy thing is, I think everybody who was in the you know, standing on the fence watching it in the paddock was just blown away. They're like, did you actually just do that? You're that much faster than everybody, and you just essentially drove over the guy. Uh, you know, the, as soon as you got to him. So you know, hopefully Miguel's got the speed. Hopefully he'll settle down. He'll learn from that, just like John Burke learned from his mistake in in X thirty Junior. He'll learn, get a little more patience. I have a feeling he's going to be the guy to battle uh, for the X30 Masters Championship. Let's move to Mini Swift. And this one, uh, Dave, all about Aiden Rudolph and Jack Jeffers. They were absolutely the class of the field, led the field all weekend long. Um, Rudolph qualifies on pole. He and Jeffers run away in both heat races and the main event. And, you know, David, we watch it and we just we wait for those kids to understand you don't need to fight over the first five laps. You know, there's a group of five guys at the start, Dave. You know, they're in that big pack. Rudolph sat on the back of Jeffers and just kept pushing, kept pushing, and they just kept pulling away. And it was just so cool to see that development, you know, that understanding and that maturity where both Aiden and Jack didn't race each other. They just pulled away, and in the end, it was going to be a two-driver battle in both heat races and the main event. Well, it's some good coaching right there, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was it was yeah. the one race I got to listen to, and it seemed like yeah, Jeffers was just waiting his waiting for his opportunity there on that last lap, and just wasn't quite able to uh, to pull the trigger on 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 Rudolph. Well, to be honest, Aiden kind of caught me off guard. You know, for the first what I think three quarters of that race, he sat on Jeffers' rear bumper, pushed him out. We're going to take it off. You know, it's going to be you and I. Now, you figure Rudolph is going to wait for the last couple laps? No. Lap number five, he or lap number, I think it was, I think they did a 14 lapper. So lap number nine, he pulls the trigger. He goes to the lead. And I'm, oh, I'm like, there's five to go. This could get interesting. And Jeffers just tucked back in. It was his time. He was going to wait. He was going to wait. And then he just threw absolutely everything at Aiden on the final lap. And Rudolph was able to hold him off. He scores the big win. Bottom line was, it was just two really good young drivers who have shown some really impressive improvements in racecraft. And they just kind of handle it. Right, Dave, it wasn't, it wasn't, we're not going to battle. We're not going to make any mistakes. They handled the day completely. It was really impressive to watch. That's, it's always good to see that because that's what we see in the mini swift category right now is, is just a lot of young drivers that are, are growing as, as a driver, you know, and, and being able to, to measure their opponent 
uh, it, you know, it's a chess game. Racing is a chess game. It's a strategy. It's yeah. it's not just can you be the quickest guy out there. It's 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 learning the different uh, ways of of being fast, but also the different ways of passing and and strategizing how you want to be at the front at the end of the race. You know, if you're a leader or you're running in second, you have to manage the race. You have to control the pace. You have to control the way the storyline unfolds. And uh, behind those two guys, behind Rudolph and Jeffers, uh, uh, it was Davis Cunningham, uh, Jace Park, and Alex Stanfield. All three of those drivers were really impressive all weekend long. Cunningham Cunningham ends up making uh, a last lap pass on Jace Park to get the podium position. So all in all, uh, again, a really good field too. 18 drivers in the mini Swift class. Hopefully they'll even get some more guys to come out because I think that if they get 2025, 20, this class is still going to keep growing. And, you know, anytime you look at a series, uh, a regional series, I think you look at that mini level and that kind of shows you what's going to happen over the next couple of years. Micro's brand new, you know, you get a couple of kids in there, you're going to get 10 if you're, you know, but if you get that 15, 20, 25 in the mini class, they're going to feed into the junior. Junior is going to feed into senior. Over the next five years, that's where you see the growth coming. So I'm really happy uh, to see that many uh, mini Swift drivers in Texas. Let's cap off uh, the IAMI uh, race report, again, brought to you by CRG Nordam, with a look at uh, the Micro Swift class. Again, as I said, six drivers in total. Caleb Gaffera and his dad, Chuck, roll in. They decide they want to come out and check out Rudolph's track. A lot of success in the Florida events, the Winter Series and the Winter Tour. They come in with a, a full head of steam, some confidence. And Gaffera, though, doesn't get in until midday on, on Saturday. They actually missed their flight <laughs> coming in. So he doesn't get as much uh, practice as he wants. But still, out of the box, David, showing the, the confidence, the momentum he's got off the winter programs. He ends up being the, just the, the bottom line, the fastest guy all weekend long. Picked up the track real quick. And in fact, was the fastest in final practice on Saturday and then swept all four sessions on Sunday. Yeah, I think it was a last minute deal for them to go over. Uh, I think Jim Russell Jr. had some of their equipment already. Uh, they weren't scheduled to race at the WK race, which was in their their home track where I was at. And so it, I think it was a good deal. And I think that's that's one of the things, you know, again, with regional racing, it's going around and learning new tracks. And, and that's one thing uh, that uh, Caleb was able to do really well and score the victory. I say this all the time because, uh, of course, I, I do the play-by-play for the Mazda Road to Indy as well. If you think taking your kid to a track and let, letting him test for a week beforehand is preparing him to be a race car driver, you're wrong. Because <laughs> when you go to St. Petersburg or Toronto or even whether Barber, whatever it may be, if you're in the USF 2000, there's no practice. You, you get one practice session right into qualifying, qualifying two, and two races. Five sessions. And this is really cool because Caleb didn't have any time on the track. I think he had four, uh, three or four practice sessions on Saturday right into racing. So I think it was really good for him to really have to pick the track up quickly. Now, behind him, there was some awesome racing. Uh, Ethan Thomason was super fast. And I say that Gaffera kind of handled it. He did. But Thomason had the fastest lap in both of the heat races. And he actually ended the day in second ahead of Santiago Duran. So Thomason, you know... I don't think I don't see Gaffera coming back for the whole series. They may come back for another race if they want to have some fun. But Thomason showed really good speed, and I like seeing that in the in the mini Swift category. Dave, there's some really good drivers, and again, brand new, super raw, getting a feel for it. They, you know, they've, they've run at their club level for a year, and they're coming to try some regional racing. This is going to be a good class again, developing all this young talent. 
And then it's another category that uh, the series can grow with uh, with the tracks like with Speed Sports and and DKC and, and just growing at the, you know, getting them from kid carts and going right into the micro category. All right, folks, we uh, have one more break here. Come on back. On the other side, we're going to talk shifter racing at the Texas Pro Car Challenge. Kometic Gasket is a leading worldwide supplier of gaskets and engine sealing solutions for karting, automotive performance, power sports, original equipment, and the remanufactured engine industries. Kometic karting gaskets are available as OE replacement top-end kits or as individual gaskets and seals. Just like competitive carters, Kometic can operate on the fly and has the unique capability to customize any gasket to meet specific engine requirements and clearances. All of Kometic's fiber materials are asbestos-free and do not require any additional sealants. Viton oil ring cylinder head seals are used in each two-cycle kit, and Kometic's four-cycle engine kits feature only the most advanced multi-layer steel head gaskets. Kometic can tailor to engine builder specific needs through bulk ordering and packaging flexibility. Kometic gaskets are must-haves for championship winning teams across multiple disciplines of both professional and amateur motorsports. Kometic gasket, sealing championships since 1989. With over 35 years of manufacturing experience, Precision Karting Technologies is the leader in American-made components. We produce high-quality products, led by our full line of chromoly and mild steel axles. Metric or imperial, standard or custom, we have what you need. Collars, keys, bearings, we're the source for axle components in the USA. We're not just axles either. At PKT, we can manufacture motor mounts, hubs, brake rotors, and even GoPro mounts. We're also the choice for axle and chassis straightening. We've designed a dedicated table for the sole purpose of straightening and laser aligning your chassis. If needed, we have the capability to cut, replace, and weld portions of your chassis as well. Big crash bent your frame? Send it to us. Broke a spindle yoke off in a wreck? We can replace it. You don't need to toss that expensive frame in the trash bin. We can fix it. We can repair and straighten chassis, and we CNC machine the finest carting products in the country. With over 70 dealers throughout the U.S. and Canada, it's easy to choose PKT. Family owned and operated, proudly made in the USA. PKT, what's in your cart? Welcome back to episode number 20 of the EKN Debrief. Rob Howden and David Cole breaking down the Texas Pro Cart Challenge. Dave, uh, I'll hammer through the, the shifter cart categories here as the time is getting short for this particular uh, edition of the Debrief. Uh, S2, semi-pro, stock Honda. What a battle. Blair Hosey, Ryan Kinnear, Max Hewitt. Awesome opportunity for both of those young drivers to go against a guy like Kinnear. Veteran driver, you know, former national number one in the S4 class, national number two here for this year. They went at it back and forth. Hosey quickest in qualifying. Kinnear smoked him, I think, off, off the start because he started second. I think he whole-shotted him in all three races. Uh, so Hosey can work on the starts a little bit. But once they got into the main event, it was wild. Kinnear gets the whole shot leads. Hosey goes to second. But Max Hewitt, who had run third all day, went on a tear. First he gets by Hosey. Then he gets by Kinnear and then pulls out like a four-second lead and just kind of settles in. Kinnear and and, and uh, Hosey go at it like crazy for position. It was actually just awesome to watch these guys go back at it 
Of course, Hewitt with a huge victory, his first in a shifter, only his second shifter race. Uh, Kinnear ends up in second, Hosey in third. Just awesome racing to watch in S2, David, to watch these guys really go at it. Yeah, the S2 category is, is interesting this year because we're seeing some guys moving over from, from X30 Senior and, and trying their hand at the six-speed uh, package. And, and Ho- Hosey was really fast at the, at the Winter Nationals. So, uh, you know, it, you, you can kind of expect him to be uh, one of the top guns throughout the year, both at the regional level and, and chasing, uh, chasing the championship uh, at the Pro Tour. I do want to mention this right now, and we talk about racecraft, and this is really important. Blair Hosey made a really aggressive move in turn 14 to try to get by Kinnear, a couple times trying to get by. Well, one, Kate, one he made a deep, deep move, and there was pretty significant contact, uh, and likely he, he may have lost a spot uh, in terms of a penalty. He comes out of the corner, didn't like it, puts his hands in the air, and waves Kinnear back by. And that show of sportsmanship, I'll tell you, my respect for Blair Hosey went, boom, up another gear, because... It wasn't the pass he wanted. Too much contact. He gave it back to Kinnear. Wasn't able to get back by, by the end of the race, David. But to do that, to understand that wasn't a pass that I'm, a, uh, that I'm good enough with. I'm not going to accept that pass and put Kinnear back by. Wow, that was impressive. Well, that and we talk about guy letting the drivers settle it themselves. You know, we've we've talked about it, especially in the senior categories where you you, you nudge a guy, you expect to get a nudge back another time. Well, if you make a mistake and, and you, you know, if you try and take somebody out, you never, ever see that. You never, ever see a guy pull over, give the spot back, because then that eliminates the race directors from having to step in and say, well, you didn't give the spot back. So that's a penalty. If you give a spot back or even give two spots back, if, if, if there's a group of you together, you know, let the group get ahead of you, go back to the tail of the group and then race your way back forward and do it the right way rather than the wrong way. Exactly. Exactly. I think it was so, for me, impressive, respect level, another notch. Uh, let's go to S4, Goodfield S4 drivers. Rod Clenard, actually, unbelievably strong. Again, national number plate holder. Uh, half a second quicker than Nathan Stewart in qualifying. He won, wins both heat races, but with the start, as they started with the S2s, both Clenard and Stewart get into the middle of a battle with a bunch of S2 guys. Clenard gets held up in turn 14 midway through the race. Stewart capitalizes, sneaks through, and then is able to hold off Clenard uh, for the remainder of the race. He ends up uh, Stewart with the win, Clenard second, and Miguel Garcia in third. So that's essentially our race report. Uh, brought to you by CRG Nordan. The Shifter Cart guys put on a great show as well. And, of course, big wins uh, for Max Hewitt and Nathan Stewart in S2 and S4, respectively. Dave, let's jump quickly into the EKN Trackside Live race calendar brought to you today by the Alan Rudolph Racing Academy. Uh, you're getting ready to head to Florida, April 6th, 7th, and 8th, the United States Pro Kart Series opener, Ocala Grand Prix. 80-degree weather, Rob. I can't <laughs> wait because this weather here is is terrible. Terrible. Well, and here's the other countdown for you. We're like T-minus nine days away from an In-N-Out burger. We're going to Challenge of the Americas Sim Raceway Performance Karting Center in Sonoma. Finale for the Coda Series, April 13th, 14th, 15th. Airport, rental car, In-N-Out. Yeah, you know, it's been a good In-N-Out season with uh, with yes. what we've had uh, so far. You know, we got two events coming up that, you know, with, with Challenge of the Americas and the next one we're going to talk about where I'm going to get In-N-Out there too. It's going to be that, it's going to be that summertime drought. 
You know, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like when you live in, in those warm climate areas where you can't leave the house because you want to stay in the air conditioning. Well, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get in and out burger during that time. <laughs> and David did mention the fact that we're going to Phoenix a couple of weekends later. The Spring Nationals, the second round of the Supercarts USA Pro Tour, May 4th, 5th and 6th. Again, moving from Sonoma to Phoenix Kart Racing Association, a number of in and out uh, locations mm. for David there. One on the way home from the track, which is, I know, perfect for David. Uh, a couple weeks later, and we'll cap off this edition of the EKN Trackside Live race calendar. Uh, May 18th, 19th, 20th, David coming uh, or heading to Pittsburgh International Race Complex, formerly known as Beaver Run in Wampum, Pennsylvania, the next round of the WK Manufacturers Cup Series. Those are your four races we're looking at right now. Again, do want to mention it, and we're thrilled to have Cooper Tires on board with the EK and Trackside Live Tour. Uh, to be able to work with Cooper Tires is fantastic. No in and out for David at Pittsburgh, but he does have a couple of great stops there in mid-April, the start of May. David, we are maybe 30 seconds left. Let's wrap it up. I'll tell you this right now. Awesome to see a great start for the Texas Pro Kart Challenge. Lots of happy families throughout the weekend. People high-fiving each other. A lot of people coming to thank Gina and Mark French at the end of the uh, the day on Sunday. That's big. Super positive feedback for the two-day single race weekend for the first race of the year so that they limit the missed school, missed work. That was big. Weather was awesome. Uh, a little humid, but it's Houston. <laughs> and, of course, we had the air conditioner running in the tower anyways, but just it was warm. It wasn't cold. We weren't in North Carolina. That was good enough for me. 10% growth from the end of 2017 to 2018. Good things for Texas Pro Car Challenge. And really lots in the works for the next race as well. It's going to be a night race at Denton, Texas. That half-mile bullring night race. Mark French has got a ton of stuff he's working on. It's going to be a really fun weekend. Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, Denton, Texas. Yeah, I love night racing. It's, you know, Vegas. We've seen it at Lancaster. We've seen it at Modesto. A uh, couple of uh, local tracks that have lights. You know, it, night racing is is exciting, fun, fantastic, and I wish I could go. I don't want to miss it. We didn't talk about the fact there was a great battle between Jake French and Ryan Norberg. They were able to raise a ton of money for MD Anderson Cancer Center of Houston. They did a bunch of cool games, ping pong, nut and bolt, chess, uh, rock, paper, scissors. They were on the track in the rental carts afterwards battling it out. It was just – it was. Cool to see the two national number ones go head to head. All right, folks, that's going to wrap things up here from this particular episode of the EKN Debrief. Rob Howden and David Cole have wrapped up round number one of the Texas Pro Kart Challenge. A little breakdown for you. Three more rounds of the Texas Pro Kart Challenge to come. We welcome all any of you to come and join and come and play because this is a great series with a lot of momentum, really positive atmosphere. I look forward to getting back there. On behalf of David Cole, this is Rob Howden. We are done here on the EKN Radio Network. Bye for now.